Hey, hey, welcome to the live edition of the 40 Athletes Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason Hoser, along with another great episode with my good buddy, Jimmy Huber. Jimmy, how's it going, man? Going great. Yourself? You know, doing well. You know, we're on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and uh, man, um, our guest today is uh, a phenomenal person in general, but, you know, he has a great podcast we've both been on called the Time to Shine Podcast. Talks about being positive, you know, talks about how to be a great person, great coach, um, U.S. Navy veteran. So, you know, thank you for his service. Um, real estate investor junkie and just loves to do jujitsu uh, and, and uh, you know, yoga like you would. The things that he does is he gets himself out of You're his tell me He loves to pump. He loves to pump the iron. He loves to sit there and do the martial arts and he loves yoga. I mean, this guy is all over the place. But what I love, anyone that serves our country, U.S. Navy, you got to get them on because, like I said, we have the freedoms we have today because of people like you're going to bring on and you're going to introduce them that sacrifices their lives for people like us. And he's just a well-balanced guy, right? Who can go from jujitsu to yoga? I mean, that's kind of a that's an opposite thing here, you know. And so, um, we're excited to have him on today. And so, Scott Ferguson, I want you to welcome to the show today. Scott, how's it going today? Jimmy, Jason, what's up, fellas? Pleasure to be here. Yeah, we are privileged. Well, we're excited to have you here, uh, Scott. And um, you know, thank you again for your service and and your time that you did in. Uh, it was Afghanistan, Afghanistan, and uh, Somalia. Is that right as well? Yes, sir. Yeah, I was yeah. in the Navy from ninety to ninety-seven. Actually, ninety-five, two years of active reserves and whatnot. But yeah, I did did a, did a quite a few deployments over there. For did sure. you fly any planes at all, Scott? When you're in the no, Navy? I, well, I jumped out of some. But I never <laughs> flew any. I actually got to get launched off an aircraft carrier in a, what's called an S three. It's uh, they're used to hunt submarines, um, and I got to do that in nineteen ninety-two. So I actually have my uh, tail hook from that flight that I was able to keep, wow. which is pretty cool. So it's I just know it with uh, Top Gun coming out, Top Gun Two. Oh, know, I can't wait! That, yeah, it got delayed a year because of COVID, man. I can I'm seeing that yeah. in the theater. I don't care. That's gonna yeah. be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, Scott, uh, let's go ahead and dive right in here. Your signature <laughs> phrase is "level up," and you mentioned mm-hmm. that in a lot of your things uh, that all your marketing, everything, your your podcasting, like how you level up. And I want to know is. What, whenever you say level up, what do we mean by leveling up, and how do we do that? Well, it, it kind of goes back, if you don't mind me sharing for two to three minutes, a story. Yeah, that, sure. You know, um, I was born in the Philippines in 1972, and my father was American. Um, I was told that he was killed in Vietnam, and I literally found out yesterday he wasn't. So I'm going through all these roller coaster of emotions, and he oh, died wow. in 2017. So that's a whole different story. But I was raised, I'm, I'm half American and half Filipino. And at the time, mixed breed bastard children were, were frowned upon. I'm, I'm 6'1", I'm about 250. I'm pretty well put together. And, and American men are so much bigger than Filipino men. They were afraid that these bastard children during the Vietnam era that were you know be running around were going to take over the country physically. So they were shipping the male mixed breed bastard children to Spain. And because Spain controls the Philippine Islands and no one really knows what happens to those kids, those, those men, men. So uh, my mother immediately had me adopted out to an American family that was in the air force there. And they ended up adopting me, uh, starting the adoption process, took a a temporary visa to 
um, the United States because her father had gotten sick. My adoptive mother-to-be's father got sick. Well, her father died. She goes, schizophrenic. They can't raise me. So I went to an orphanage in California. And I got adopted by my family now, who I call my mother and my late, my late mother and my father. And, but he was a Vietnam vet, um, really bad into alcohol. They couldn't raise me either. So I popped around from family to family. So I never felt that I had a place um, of where I was received and accepted. Um, and from there, like I went through school, I excelled in athletics, um, went through some scholarship stuff that was offered to me, but they didn't like a 1.8 grade point average. So I <laughs> didn't get picked up by anything. My dad's like, dude, you're not, because my dad cleaned his act up. He's, he's my best friend, you know, and I lived with him for the last six years, my, my uh, uh, schooling from high school, junior high and whatnot. Um, he's like, you're not living here without paying rent. So I went in the Navy and got to, so I'm like, listen, I'm going to do this. I'm going to see the world of Desert Storm. It started. We were actually under Operation Desert Watch. And from there, like, I was in the Navy, and I just was like, in, even in boot camp, you can take 82 men or boys. And at that time, there was no draft. So you had, a, like, a lot of guys that were criminals. And the judge was like, hey, you can go in the military. You can go to jail. So they come. So I'm stuck in boot camp with all these people from different backgrounds. They could be criminals. You had, you know, kids just looking to make their parents mad because they come from a rich family. I'm going to go in the Navy. So you had all these things. When you could take 82 guys in 12 weeks and make them into one cohesive unit was just amazing. And, you know, at the time, I didn't think about it. But now I look back and go, man, that's the first place I started to fit in. And the leveling up part comes is back then it was like Nintendo and Sega. Right. So everyone's like, I'm going to level up. I'm going to level up. And I used to joke with them. Hey. They'd be like, Fergie, play some games with me. I'm like, dude, you guys sit here and level up, you losers. I'm going to go you know, get on the mats or go hit the jack some iron or go go do something that was outside and fun. And I was living in San Diego over at Seal Beach, Coronado Island. Right. And so that's where the leveling up started as a joke. But then I would sit there and say, hey, man, there's 500 pounds on the ground. I want a deadlift. Let's level up. You know, or, hey, I got to make the sales call. Let's level up. So that's the leveling up comes from that is actually going to the next level. And I really broke it down into I don't want anybody that's religious out there to get a connotation off of this. But I believe that if you're not leveling up, you're sinning and not from a religious standpoint. I'm talking the Greeks, you know, the sin is a is a Greek word from the origin of sinning. And that just means missing the mark. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're missing the mark every day you're not living to the potential God gave you to live to. And I started implementing that into every area of my life. And I had a lot of bumps and bruises after the military, but I always looked to level up. I was selfishly leveling up instead of being more of a go-giver and helping others level up. That's what I do now. So leveling up is just not sinning, not missing the mark, and then helping others not sin or miss the mark and level up. So I, I know you you do a lot of coaching, a lot of mentoring, sure. uh, Scott. And you work with athletes. Um, mm -hmm. how, when you talk about the leveling up, mm -hmm. how do you help these athletes level up in their lives? Like, what are things that you do with them? You encourage them to do each and every day mm -hmm. that gets them to maximize their days and make sure they're leveled up to get the success they desire. Right. A lot of the athletes, which you guys both are, they feel that there's peak performance is very important to them. But what they forget a lot of times that I see is they forget about gratitude of what they already have. Like they were blessed a lot with a gift from God to help the, to, to be able to do that. So a lot of times I bring them back to the roots 
and and start there with gratitude. And it sounds so generic, but dude, I have a gratitude journal. Holzer's made it into it like six or seven times. You know, Jimmy, I don't know you that well yet, or, and you will start making it in my gratitude journal, right? But it, it's like they I, they start there, and believe it or not, once they start seeing what they're happy for and what they're blessed for, they start looking at things so much different. Because I'm not a coach that's going to be like, hold your hand, be good. No, I'm going to beat the crap out of you, right? And they know that from the start. You know, like, listen, I, ain't the, I, I might not be the right horse for your course on this because I'm going to do things, like, a lot differently than a lot, a lot of other coaches do. I'm in your face. I'm going to be like, listen, dude. And I'm doing it with them. You know, so within my coaching group, we share our gratitude journal. Yeah, that's it. And all I do is I put down 10 things I'm grateful for and, and come up with it. And that's where I start with them, Jimmy. Is I start at the roots of gratitude and then help them break down their talents to help them level up once they understand what they are really working with. And so you go and going into gratitude, you know, some people think they have to be great, like grateful for like these big audacious things, but really it can be like the most simplest things that can be <laughs> yeah. the most effective. Right. And so like, what are some of the things, you know, as you're maybe somebody's like, well, how do I start with my gratitude journal? What are some things that I can to get me going to, to get the inertia, the momentum to have sure. a more gratitude as a habit? Right. You know, that that's a great question. And they're like, man, I, I don't even know. I'm like, dude, you have air you have food, you have shelter. You want to start there. I always, my number one, and I will, I'll share my gratitude journal from this morning on here. I don't care. It, it's like, God is number one. Okay. I'm Jesus Christ my, is my savior. Okay. And that's where I start. But whoever your creator is, then thank them. Thank that and start there. And then you can be, Hey, gravity's great. You know, or else we float away. Water, here, right? yeah. gotta have it, man. So you can start as simple as that. But once you do that, it's like that airplane taking off where it takes so much to get that airplane off the ground. Then it just floats, dude. You know what I'm saying? It goes. We got to keep the direction, the nose of the aircraft on the right path. But we start with the simplest of things. Next thing you know, they're writing, hey, my wife gave me a massage last night. Or my kid waved at me from the... Um, recital that we are at and, and they find stuff that those simplest things that make their gratitude grateful for and that's really where we start we get to the roots so when you go to gratitude you think about it you know we'll talk about hey it's it's being appreciative being thankful for what you have and people say you need to be thankful for the things you have and not so much the things you want how do you get these individuals to understand like it's a it's okay to want things mm -hmm. it's okay to desire to want to become more do more to mm -hmm. have more Right. And to still be grateful in the process. I see some people get ungrateful because they feel like I don't have this. Mm -hmm. but then it's the other ones like, oh, I'm grateful, but I can't have a desire to have this because it will take me away from being grateful. Is there a balance in the two? There is. Uh, but they again, it starts, Jimmy, I think, with how simple the, the gratitude, gratitude is. is. Like a lot of people try to make it so like, oh, my gosh, what, what, what am I thankful for? Uh, like, and it's okay to want monetary things. It's fine. I believe Jesus says it like 87 times in the Bible that to go get more. And, and basically, it's a sin not to. Because if you're not leveling up to your ability, you're not. You're missing the mark and, and moving forward. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. But gratitude just starts simple. And it starts that process. It starts the launching pad. And it puts your day on track to live to serve people. I do. I do want to get into something you brought up. Your story is amazing, by the way. Thank you. I mean, Chase are like, oh my god! And you're talking about how, you know, you 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 weren't with your 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 uh, blood parents, mm -hmm. and then you were had an opportunity to be with some other parents, and they couldn't take you, and you went into all these different transition 
mm-hmm. of maybe somebody like taking you in and taking mm-hmm. care of you and loving you. Sure. Did you feel throughout your life that you weren't maybe felt loved and oh. it was hard to love yourself because you hear people all the time. They say, well, the hardest things is people don't love themselves. Right. Right. No, they can't love others. Yeah. So did you go through that? And if so, how did you get to the point where you started loving you? That, that That's a great question. I, I hated myself. I didn't know I hated myself. I was like, I had a huge chip on my shoulder. I'm like, I'm going to show everybody. So it's like, you know, and when I got out of the service and started with my real estate business, I started printing money and, you know, showing up at family reunions and like an SL5 Mercedes, look at me, look at me. Everything was about me. And I had mentors, great mentors um, that were like, watch your money, watch your relationships, watch this because everything's going to change. The bottom's going to fall out, the big fail or whatever they call that, the big short. Um, and, and it happened. And I, that's when, when it happened, I lost everything. I went having, you know, I showed the people that I coach, I went from having 3 million, you know, flush cash dollars in the bank to like 20,000, like within a few weeks, because I paid off all my creditors. I didn't file bankruptcy. I failed with that. And in 09, when all that started to happen, my little brother, who's a, a, a serviceman and why it's so to come on my show, you have to donate to the suicide lifelines. He killed himself right? Lost my brother, lost my business. And so I just sat in there and someone handed me a book called um, The Traveler's Gift. It's a book I always give out to people. And it's by Andy Andrews. He's a Christian comedian. He's funny, but he writes a book about this dude whose daughter's dying, loses his job. He's like, I'm going to end it. I'm going to hit a tree and run my car into a tree. And he wakes up in 1944, I believe, um, with uh, Give Him Hell Harry Truman standing there the day before he drops the bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And he teaches about responsibility. And then from responsibility, he meets King Solomon and the you know wisdom. And so he meets like Anne Frank for happiness. So he meets these different people. And I was like, wow. And so then I started surrounding myself with people that were going to help me level up my happiness. But I started doing it from a place of service. You know, so I do what I love in the service of people that love what I do. So that's that's where I go with that. Absolutely. How did you go from so you had three million to twenty thousand? <laughs> you you said your brother committed suicide. Yeah. Going through these challenges and and like you're looking at this kind of a failure. How did you bounce back from that? Like, what did you do with like mindset part and get yourself right to be able to take that next step, and move forward to get back to where you're at today? You know, I had read Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. You know, it was the first book my mentor handed me. And I went and said, this is my situation. After the person handed me the traveler's guest said, this is my situation. Who's at my round table? You know, who is going to be there mentally and actually physically? You know, Jesus Christ is always at the head. But then you have other people that are there. Um, but then I started, like, subconsciously, Jimmy, probably thinking out, like, you know, who can I bring into my life that's going to have, that's going to help me provide not only happiness for myself, but to help me do that through providing happiness for others as well. And the first thing they said, you know, Rod Harrison, he owns a company called Envision You. And he said, listen, Fergie, man, inch by inch, it's a cinch by the yard. It's hard. So let's do this thing inch by inch. Let's just go a little bit by a little bit. And we're going to level up every single day. And that's what we, that's what I did is I just made every single day. And I, I have gratitude logs going all the way back to the end of 2009. I think I've missed maybe 320 days since 2009, something like that. Cause I keep a list of not how many days I journal gratitude, how many days I miss, you know? So that's what it did. It all started with that. 
And it's just inch by inch. It's a cinch, man. And that's what I tell anybody that they're, that I'm bringing into a coaching program or anybody that's going through their version of hell, that everything starts there. Yeah. I think the, the strategy you're talking about, I think it's, it's the boardroom technique. Is that what it is? In Absolutely. The, yeah. The boardroom mm-hmm. technique. And so uh curious, like, how did you decide on your boardroom? Like who who's in your boardroom besides Jesus? If you don't mind sharing, like, and, no, man. Uh, and why did you pick those people that are, you know, like what qualities did they have that right. you feel like we're going to help you get to a place inch by inch that life becomes that sense that you're talking about. <laughs> it's funny, dude, because people, I talk to people about my boardroom with Jesus Christ at the head. I got Buddha there and I have the Dalai Lama. I've got a uh, Victor Frankel, you know, there's, you got a Jew, a Christian, a Buddhist, Gandhi, Martin Luther King at the time. And still to me, I don't care if people hate me or this. I had Donald Trump at that table. This is 2009, you know, because of his audacity and how he came back from bankruptcy and and stuff like that in the late nineties. Those are the people I just went through and said, you know, who is doing things in the service of others that I can look to, to help me level up in the service of others. Yeah. A lot of wisdom in that. Yeah. Lots of it. Lots of it, man. There's a lot of wisdom. Let's let's flow into, so you talked about you went into the military. How Mm -hmm. old were you at the time? 18. So 18. And you talk about maybe it's like, you know, being able to want to fit into something, being able Mm -hmm. to maybe you need to mature in different areas. How did the military help you kind of mature who you are today? And what are the things that you feel like they do so great? And developing like leaders from within. Obviously, discipline's huge, right? Um, discipline is everything. Uh, but I, I feel that the military gave me responsibility and respond and being able to take responsibility for everything that happens in your life. Like, you know, I couldn't be responsible for what my mother did or my father did or whatnot, but I can be responsible for how I react to or respond to that moment. And when they start to creep up in my mind, that's what the military really did. And and it made me responsible for people to my right. You know, in the military, you're always responsible for the person to your right. Okay. You always, when you're flanking, you're responsible for that person to the right. That's why the strongest person's always on the left because he's got his own sex. That's why, you know, you're looking to your right the whole time. You're responsible. It made me responsible for somebody else as well. And the only way I can be responsible for them is if I'm in tip top shape, my mental is on point. And it made me do that. And responsibility is nothing more than the ability to respond. It's rooted in the word. Okay. So I'm able to take responsibility for myself, but mainly to keep that person to my right alive. So that's where that really instilled in me in the military is responsibility and the obvious is discipline. So what are some strategies then like that you said they taught you responsibility? how, how do we learn responsibility? How do you take responsibility, you know, control what you can control because a lot of us can have the victim mentality and we can blame other people. We can make excuses, but what are some things that you did that you were taught maybe two or three things that, you know, like, Hey, here's how I became a much more responsible person. These are the things that I actually did on a daily basis, right? Everything's on you for one, no matter if the person hit you in your car, and it's not your fault. It's still on you. You have to take responsibility for that moment. A lot of people don't want to do that. They want to be victims, you know, and I, and, and I hate to say it like this, but winners make adjustments, losers make excuses. That's just how it is. And that's one thing that really um, hit hard with me with regards to understanding that responsibility that everything is on me. I'm not saying it's my fault, 
but everything is on me and how I handle it. Okay. And then I also really learned that happiness is very, very important and that everything is finite. When I say everything's finite, I mean, anything that's bad's happened to you, that's happening to you is going to end. I guarantee it. It will end. And that's why I tell the the clients that I coach, it's going to end, but everything that's good is happening to you is going to end too. So Hoser, you know, Jimmy, let's say, hey, man, we're going to Fergie's for watch the Cardinals next February. And, dude, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be six days of awesome. Hopefully the Cardinals lose every game, right? I'm kidding. But, like, no, seriously, like, you're going to come here. But guess what? That six days is going to end, right? You're going to go back Mm -hmm. home. Okay, so why not overlap your happiness? That's what I do is I do things every day. And this was instilled in me by the basic principles of the military, of taking responsibility that I can choose to be happy all the time and it could just be as simple as you know looking outside and seeing a palm tree that i'm looking at right now or seeing the waves on the atlantic ocean it's like overlap your happiness so happiness really never ends you're going to have drastic times that's going to happen you're going to lose loved ones you know you you're, you might lose a job and whatnot but just that's going to end as well you know be thankful for the loved one that was here you know the job is a new beginning for something else but overlap your happiness. That's something that instilled in me by a really good friend of mine that I do to this day. And it helps out with all the gratitude and, and leads into a life of true happiness. People are like, Fergie, dude, you're always going. You're always good. This is me. It, it, there's no joke. I mean, you can ask my girlfriend, Susan. She'll be like, dude, he's a nutcase. I'm the biggest joker. You know, I live by the, by the moniker, don't take life too seriously. You'll never make it out alive. You know what I'm saying? I'm biggest joker in the world. When I'm representing clients or if my, you know, one of my coaching clients is going through a rough time, you're not going to hear me joking. But other than that, I'm the biggest goof. I'm not self-deprecating, but I'm the biggest goofball. And then all these. I I love, though, I've heard a lot of quotes, but winners make adjustments, losers make excuses. That is really good. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that one. You know who said it? I got it from Pat Summit, the awesome. Really? Coach. Oh, yeah. From Tennessee. Tennessee huh? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I've seen, I heard a lot of quotes from different people. That one, <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I live by that, man. So, you know, I could wake up every day and, you know, feel like not getting on the mat because my knee's sore, but you know, I could stretch it out and get there and go lighter that day. You know, just, I'm almost 50 years old. So it's like, I want to, you know, have the longevity as well. So what do I have to do to adjust in that? What, what would you say though, going to that quote? Cause you know, as coaches, you know, you're dealing with athletes and we've all probably dealt with athletes that have a tendency to make excuses. Sure. Right. What is the best way advice you could give the coaches to help an individual that struggles and makes excuses quite a bit mm-hmm. to get them to shift? Be like, no, I don't want, don't complain, don't explain. I don't want your excuses. Mm-hmm. I just want you to make the adjustments to have the success and do these type of things. What do you suggest? I do reps, man. Reps, 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 reps. That's what I do because they're, they're going to be like, oh, how do I do this? Let's, let's see. Let's break it down. What do we need to do to make the adjustments? And let's do reps with that, which whether they're their sales pitching or their mindset before they go into sales pitching. Let's walk through that. Let's visualize. Let's see what's happening and make that happen before it even happens. As you guys are all athletes. I'm sure you sat down and visualized how things go. When I get on the mat in a comp- like a new breed competition or a Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament or whatever, I visualize the whole thing. I see how it goes down. Now, does it go down that way all the time? No, but I could make adjustments on the fly to, to go there. So if you're working with an athlete and he's in a slump playing baseball or whatnot, you know, it, you know, I 
myself, I would reach out to, I know a plethora of minor league coaches and whatnot. I reach out, Hey, they're having this issue. You know, this is what's going on, but I want to hear the mindset of it. And then I go and coach them on the mindset and it's always comes back to reps, get in the cage, do it, but have somebody there. That's going to look at you that you trust and have an eye on it to make sure that that swing is on plane. You know, the hips are flying through. So it's, that, that's what I strongly recommend as reps. In jiu-jitsu, it's so much, it has to do with the mind, doesn't it? I mean, the physical yeah. part of it, but you get so much in it. Is there a lot of mind training that goes in jiu-jitsu and preparing, you know, yeah. to go and fights and do that? Or to a, gajillion, that? a gajillion percent, because <clears throat> I grew up wrestling since I was like four years old. And wrestling is six minutes of hell, man. You're go, go, go. Your breathing is like, <sighs> we're jits. You're able to lay on your back and like have a guy my size on top of like Holzer. And Holzer will just like breathe and jujitsu is life you know you're going to have a lot of different things that are going to happen to you like a, a big person on you and jason will be able to with the right techniques breathe and explode at the moment he needs to explode and that's where the jujitsu is so much different and why i stay with it compared to like other sports because it is life it's so compared to life you know there's decisions you have to make you make split you ever you always hear oh i made a split second decision you know, it's because of what you were taught before that you make that decision. And jiu-jitsu, you train, you learn, you don't try to muscle through it because you'll run out of breath. You have a guy my size and holds her, he's going to run out of breath. But if he just learns to breathe through different parts of his diaphragm, he stays calm and he explodes in a moment, he can get away from me. And dude, like I said, I had a 165-pound guy today destroy me. And I was on side control. I mean, I was holding him down. And he got on my back and, and took my back and shook, shook me out. So... It's that that's the thing is there's patience in it, you know, but there's technique that you have to learn. So you're doing the reps, you're staying patient. And when your moment comes, you explode. That's it. You don't try to explode the whole time. If not, you will run out of breath and choke your own self out with a guy my size that's laying on you. And that kind of relates to life. If you're going 100 miles per hour in life all the time, you're going to run yourself down, right? Right. Right. Like Absolutely. To your parents told you when you were young, stop and look both ways. So I'm sure to this day, unless you're a complete imbecile for lack of a better term you probably walk up to a street and look both ways before you cross you don't just keep running you know what i'm yeah. saying it's just it's instilled in you when you were young and and if you're a white belt or whatnot you're instilled in like uh defense techniques escape techniques and whatnot and that's what you work with and you go back to those techniques but you stay patient just like your parents when you're three years old till you look both ways you have techniques instilled in you from a very low or part of your um, journey, but it doesn't matter if you're a black belt or a white belt, you're still using those same basic principles and just waiting for the right moment. So now, you're not I, just sitting there waiting it out. You're waiting for the right moment. You what, know? what is the best ways though? Cause you're, you're talking about jujitsu. We're fighting mm -hmm. like, you know, somebody get hurt and that type of stuff. How do, how do you go about getting individuals to be like calm and confident? Like what are strategies that you find the best ones do to make sure they are calm but they're confident in what they're doing when they're in a mat going against like a Scott Ferguson. Everything is a breath work, bro. Everything's breath work. Everything. I do breath work every morning. I choose to use Wim Hof's breath work. He's a great breathing teacher and you do it. So in the breath work, if you work on breath every single day, it'll start to make you calm in moments that you're not like whether someone cuts you off on the freeway I, I remain calm. And that goes back also to yoga. 
Okay, so in I don't do a spiritual yoga. I'm not doing the chants. I'm, I pray to God. I say the Lord's Prayer before I get on my mat. And people hear me in the room. I don't care. You know, so it all comes back to breathing. And I practice a, a yoga. It's called Ashtanga. And Ashtanga is eight limbs. That's all it means. And you're using all eight limbs through every single asana or pose. You know, But it all goes back to the five breaths you're taking within every pose. So you take That's called Ashtanga? Ashtanga. Ashtanga. A-S-H-T-A-N-G-A. So what uh, can you can you take like Jason and I through like a little breathing exercise that you do like in the morning? Yeah, man. Um, so Wim Hof or Troy Casey, like um, Troy, or like we go with Wim Hof, where you're going to. It, it's hard. I don't want to put you through it. I did it on a podcast before, and the dude almost passed out. <laughs> um, but basically, you're going to do 30 deep breaths. You're going to go to 30, and on that 30th breath, you're going to breathe it all the way out. Okay, your oxygen is going to start fighting to find, and you're holding it out. Oxygen is going to start fighting itself into every single cell in your body. At the end of 30 seconds, I make it to two minutes. I can hold it out for two minutes, and on the end of that two minutes, you hold it for 30 seconds. Okay, so you're reoxygenating, but all that blood, because of you exhaled for so long, is making its way into your internal organs, your vital organs, your, your, your kidneys, your liver, your lungs, and whatnot. And it's actually bringing out fresh blood to that point. So in, that's where breath work will start your day off. I do it every day. Now, Troy Casey, um, which fantastic and very unique. Um, he believes in like the ayahuasca and all these drugs and like mm. herbal drugs. I'm not that dude, but he has a breathing technique where it's all nose and it's really rapid fire and you hold your breath at the end instead of exhaling it out and you almost releases like DMT or DHT, which DHT is what happens into your body. It's released before you die. That's why they say a calming effect and you, your life flashes before you. So you reach that point where a DHT is released it, it starts your day off with just amazing. So when you start rolling through your day of stress, you can always take it back to breath work. And if you're stuck in a time where your day is not going as planned, then Jay Shetty has an awesome breath work where it's four seconds in, four second hold, four second out. So I take everything back to the breath, Jim. That's so you go back to the thing about it. Like, okay, how long can we go without breathing? That, that's that's a great one. That's where I was going with this. I was going to go, you can go without sunlight for four months, right? You Or longer. You you can go without food for a couple of weeks, water for a week, breath for like three minutes. It's the closest I mean, and, you and, have. And they talk breathing. about like our breathing, we don't breathe right. Right. Our diaphragm, deep, deep breathing. Like a lot of the times I hear we're not breathing properly. So right. just like breath work and then yes. getting oxygen to the brain and things right. to do. I've been doing breath work for 12 years and I just in January was like so excited. I hit my January this year. I hit my pelvic floor with my breath. That's 12 years, wow. dude. And wow. I do it every morning. So, and it's like when you hit that pelvic floor, it releases like a orgasmic feeling. It's different than what you'll ever, ever feel. But it took me a lot of pranayama, which is breathing exercises I do with Todd McLaughlin over at Native Yoga. Like he takes me through one Tuesday, every Tuesday morning, we do pranayama, hardest thing you'll ever do. You think I can, I think I can breathe and you do this and he has me holding different areas of my body and the breath just, 
Is that a type of yoga too? Is that a type of yoga breathing or is that just... Yeah, pranayama is always part of yoga breathing, but it's its own exercise in itself, if you will. You know, so it's like you do your yoga and then you can try pranayama. And I remember he said, listen, pranayama is a class. It's pretty intense. You can come if you want. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I went to, I came, I passed out. (laughs) You hear these athletes all the time. I remember my, my nephew, he's a senior in high school. He's going to go play football at university Mm -hmm. of Iowa. And I remember my, my sister is big in hot yoga Mm -hmm. and they're they're like, oh, yoga, the basic easy, you know, these, you know, my nephews, ah, ain't no big deal. And they did this. And they were like about to pass out. They couldn't even get the poses, stuff like that. And like, how important is yoga and flexibility with athletes? It's everything. I'm going to tell you right now. You look at even TB12, as much as you might hate him, right, Tom Brady? The dude does versions of yoga through his plyometrics, he he calls it. He's more pliable. Everything is done through stretch. And our whole body is encased in fascia, okay? And God gave us fascia for movement to escape animals and like to keep moving. And as human beings, you know, we, we die at 20, but we're not buried till 80. Right. So it's like, you, you're not, you're just sitting on your butt. You're not doing anything. There's no movement. That fascia just tightens. So you keep that fascia stretched out. You know, dude, I'm six, I'm six one. And like I said, I'm two fifty. I can go about four inches from the splits right now. And people are like, what? I can get down, wow. you know? I mean, I can sit here and I can say, I can pull this foot up here. You know, it's like, it's some fun, man. It's like, I, I need to get, I've yeah. been working on flexibility. Yeah, yeah. I want to get more flexible. Fascia, your yeah. whole body, just picture your whole body is surrounded by fascia because it is. And, um, and just making that fascia like more limber. And, and you do that. And I do, I walk everywhere barefoot, dude, until I go into a store. I don't have shoes on. I'm living in South Florida, like want to connect with like nature and stuff. Exactly. Like that. Talk about the earth. Exactly. Talk about that. What What's the real reason for that? God gave us this awesome earth with all this energy, and our feet are the closest to the earth your whole life, right? And we're always covering them up. Don't get me wrong. When I go walking with my dog and long walks, I got my Brooks on, and they're fit for me and stuff like that. But anywhere else, I'm barefoot. I mean, lightning is striking this earth eleven thousand times every second somewhere. Somewhere, 11,000 times every second, boom, that was 22,000, like right there. Somewhere on this earth, lightning striking it. And I want some of that. I want some of that energy, man. I never heard of that. The yep. lightning striking yep. earth. I never heard that. Yep. Yep. It's somewhere, boom. And I'm catching them bolts and whatnot. You know, I'm not an idiot that goes stands in the ocean and be like, hey, no. But, you know, I'm in the ocean six to seven days a week, you know, getting as close to that nature that I possibly can, because I think that it all started there. Adam and Eve are naked people. You know what I'm saying? They were, they were naked and they're walking around and that's where they had all the energy and anything that they wanted. until you know, Eve did her thing. I'm kidding. If you're watching on YouTube, Adam had something to do with it too, but no, seriously, it, it's I, I, Jimmy. I, I stay closer to the earth is, is, is as much as I possibly can. Well, that goes back to like they talk about like we're energy. We're all forms of energy. We are. Like this energy is all earth. So being connected, we get removed, like you said, of being inside and closed off from sunlight yes. and not being walking outside on the grass or you know, like, as you mentioned, we get right with our computer screens and technology mm-hmm. and everything that goes on. And I'm blessed for all of that, but I make sure I take time every single day to connect with this earth God gave me and enjoy it. Well, there's yeah. studies too that talk about it helps your immune system, right? When you're oh, doing okay. things. yeah, 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the immune system is, is key. I'm very particular for the most part. Don't get me wrong. I like to crush some chicken wings and burgers and stuff every once in a while, but I'm pretty particular during the week of what I put into my body just because if I'm not, and, you know, I'm only 50 years old and there was a time when I did not take care of my body. And, uh, you know, you get on a mat and you're rolling around. It's like that heartburn starts flaring up. You don't have the energy from what you put in your body the day before because that's what your body's reaching for is, you know, that. So if it's reaching for McDonald's or something like that, you're not you're sinning. You're missing the mark. You're, you're so, not you're not performing at your level. So what do you what do you tell athletes? Uh, you know, because athletes, you know, isn't they're young. Oh, I can eat McDonald's and I can mm -hmm. eat this processed food. I can uh, drink the Coca-Cola's. I can do this. And they think it's fine, but you know, and I know the great ones fuel their body properly, right? Mm -hmm. so what do you tell these young athletes about how they should eat and drink and what you do, but what you encourage them to do to take care of their bodies so they can be at a peak performance and be able to maintain that over time? Right. Well, we do a visualization, visualization from like start when I start working with anybody and what they visualize themselves as a young man or a woman to where they're at now, to where they see themselves in 10, 15 years. And I tell them to go back to that visualization when they start wanting to feel off track, because you're not going to become that person if you, you know, fill your food with calories that are not working for you, period. So the visualization, I always take it back to that. And, they, you know, they see, thank God for Tom Brady. I hate him as a player. Okay, but I love the man for a competitor. And you see what he does every day, you know, to take care of his body. And you can say, there you go, TB12, baby, you know? So it's like a great book, by the way. It's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. Um, but you, you see a guy like that, that that played late into his career. Um, and basically, if they want to be great and remembered as great, and then they have to do what has to be done now. And I take them back to that visualization and say, hey, man, remember when we wrote this down? Then we need to get back to that, you know, if you're going to do this. And, you know, but I love my cheat meals. I enjoy them and, and whatnot, but I know that it's a day before that I have to do, I'm not going to say nothing, but where I have a little bit more of a chill day, you know, so it, it keeps me on point. Uh, well, Scott, you know, as we uh, transition to the last part of this uh, podcast, we always do our four cues with 40 athletes. So uh, the first question is this. I want to know what is Scott Ferguson's definition of success? And, and yeah, like, you know, one minute, two minutes, you know, what is your definition of success? That I have mentored as many people as that I possibly can. And that I believe that, the more you mentor, the more immortal you become. And that I pass it on to as many people as I can and being open to reciprocation as I'm passing it along. Like a lot of people will give, 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 but they're not open to that reciprocation. And su being successful, you have to be open to that because you have got to get something for what you're giving. It's like if you have a plant in your room, you know, you breathe out carbon monoxide, they breathe in carbon monoxide, they breathe out oxygen, you breathe their oxygen. So Everything is a give and take, a check and balance in this world. And I think to be successful, you have to give, 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 but also be open to receiving and leaving a mark on people that you're mentoring along the way. That's success to me. I think it's key where you mentioned, like, you start with the giving and then you humbly receive that. And I think it's uh, – and, and you've been great about teaching me that. It's it's always about what can I give first. But then, like you mentioned, 
being open to that reception after you have put the work in it and being a go-giver like you've talked about. Right. Um, and second question, if you could spend time with anyone you admire in sports, passed away or alive, who would it be and why would you pick that person? There's like two people, man. Um, one, like I got to meet Kobe Bryant like six times, right? In 2004, you know, I was the Pistons realtor, okay? And so I got to meet him a lot, like during the championship series and stuff like that, and just watched his work ethic and like hang out with him, like for a minute, just a little minuscule time because he was always on a protocol. Um, that's who like I would want to spend some time with. And we were actually getting set up in 2018 to actually set something up for 2019 and 2020 with him. Um, and I have all that documentation. I look at that every once in a while. I'm like, man, got never got to happen. Um, and then you might hate this, but like my favorite player growing up was number five on Kansas city Royals. Oh, and, and I, there you George go. Brett, like George yeah. Brett, I got to meet him in the, during Phil Wilson's show me baseball camp there in Missouri. I don't think it's around anymore, but we used to go out there, our team, we were a really good team in Michigan. And we'd go out there, and and George Brett was there, Gary Carter was there, Willie Randolph, a lot of these old school dudes that were there. But George Brett like took his time and worked with me, and it was like, dude, I would love to take George to dinner, <laughs> just so for a thank you. You know what I'm saying? But like Kobe Bryant, George Brett, everyone's asked that, and possibly Gary Carter. I wore number eight my whole baseball career because of Gary Carter. So yeah, that's who I'd say. Sports. Cool. Yeah. What is uh, question number three? What's the best advice you've ever received from a coach you played for, worked with, or been around? Do it scared. No matter what, you know, you you figure it out. You make adjustments. Just do it scared, um, and that do everything for the intention, not the attention. Do it for yourself. Do it to help people, and, and that's what coaches really I went with to help me level up. And I like that, Jimmy. Do it for the intention, not the yeah, attention. Yeah, That's true. man, yeah. Knowledge is mm-hmm. coming out of the wazoo today. Maybe. <laughs> so the last question is this: Is if you had one character trait or life skill that you could have in a person that you are hiring to work for you, or that you're coaching and they were going to play for you, and you could only have one character trait or life skill, which one would it be? And why? Life skill that I could have from anybody that played for me. <sighs> Happiness, man. Smiling. Like knowing that it's a game to take it seriously, but it, it's a game. But overlap that happiness in every situation because sports is all about slumps and how you overcome them. And you can't overcome them with a attitude that is <sighs> not there to it's it's a sin not to grin man you know what i'm saying that's what i want with my athletes when they're on when they're at the plate or they're on the mat or taking snaps i want them to be zoned in and that but outside of the game or in between plays i want them to be relaxed and i think that that attribute is happiness is is absolutely in loving what you're doing well as you said too it's like that passion but it's, it's contagious Right. I mean, you know, somebody is. smiles at you. And they even did, you probably know, like there's 80 muscles in your face. So yeah. you're like smiling and you're doing it. Yeah. It changes the chemical responses within your brain and makes you right. feel differently. But yeah. like, so when somebody smiles at you, you kind of feel better. It does. And you're picked up by yeah. it. And that it goes back, a- I talked to Jason, like Steve Nash. 
They talk mm -hmm. about positive touches, how he was so good, one of the best leaders. And they get like, they did these positive touches. You know, they interviewed or they had a, uh, what was it? An intern kind of watching before a game and warm ups during the game and after game, like high fives, fist right. bump, smiling, pat them on the back, lifting them up. He gave like it was like 212, 215. Right. They're like, he's so good at these positive touches, lifting up his team, making them feel yeah. better. Right. And that happiness is part of that. Like you said, right. doing that, like you're happy to be around your teammates and be, right. be in the process. Yeah. And again, it comes from Steve Farber, who wrote a book called The Radical Leap, which is awesome book and you know he says do what you love in the service of people that love what you do so if you love playing baseball you're doing it for these fans that love what you do so why don't you just love it and loving something you can't be unhappy and you know frowning takes out of it takes over 70 of those muscles right in your face smiling takes 10 or 16 or something like that it's like a lot less mm -hmm. and it's a lot less effort to smile and it's harder sometimes because the way we're programmed when we're younger you know, that losing stupid and sucks and second place is first loser and stuff like that. It's like, you know, understand you play to win, but, you know, you also want, like you said, Jimmy, to be contagious throughout the locker room. You've got to be that. And, like, again, TB12, he's that guy, you know, LFG. You know, that's what he's always saying. Let's go, let's go. So, yeah. Well, you mentioned it's like you got to have your game face. Right. What are you Absolutely. smiling about? Right. What are you laughing about? Dude. I get out there and I've, comp I've competed in New Breed like three weeks ago in Miami and I'm smiling. I go out there like a lot of like, my competitors are like, ur, ur. I'm like, dude, that's not a, to me, it's not about it. I'm not doing this. My family's life's not on the line. My life's not on the line. This is a sport and I'm smiling. You give them the little slap and fist bump and you get after it. Now when I'm after it, I've become a savage, but it's like, you know, during the time, you know, in betweens and up to, and then after, you have some fun with it, man. If you're not having fun, don't do it. Do what you love in the service of people that love what you do. Hey, it's, that, it's that person across from me is like, he's smiling at me? What's he smiling at? He's smiling at But like Steve Nash, you mentioned him. You look back when he was playing for Phoenix or Dallas, and like you watch him, and like he's on the court, and the wavy hair going everywhere and whatnot, but he was like very serious. But when he wasn't, he was smiling, high five, and like you said, throwing energy around. Now he's with what the Knicks or not the Nets, 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 and you see what they're he's doing with them. You know, um, it's like Stevie Kerr. You know, was the same way. He kind of got away from it a little bit, but he was the same way with the Bulls. He was the biggest cheerleader. You know, um, and he took it to Golden State, but now he's kind of turning into a little bit more political and you know stuff like that. But you know the encouragement that he would give people. And that's why they have championships. They got the chips, they got the rings because mm -hmm. they keep it loose. Well, Scott, man, we, uh, we greatly appreciate you coming on our show today. Uh, how can people reach you and learn more about time to shine and, and mm -hmm. what you're doing? Um, time to shine today.com slash podcast is probably your best way. Or if you're in any situation, like our, our credo is we don't want to have anyone to feel like they have no one. Um, you know, then just reach out to us directly at 561-440-3830. We, um, we're set up on a platform with coaches that we've interviewed, including Jason Holzer and soon uh, James uh, or Jimmy. Um, and so we, if you need help with anything, please let us know. And we'll put you with the right resource all day. Scott, all, day, all day, every day. All day, every day. We're working on a book that I'm putting together. I've never invented anything in my life. 
Um, this book is like in the works and it's been through changes in the past 18 months. And basically it's, it's just be your time to shine. I've got 365, uh, entries are only one page long. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Jason Holzer's in there, Jimmy, you're going to be in there a whole chapter, you know? So basically it's just, I take the podcast, break it down and then just roll the book out. So that should be out probably next January ish is what we're looking at by the time. That's awesome. Yeah, It'd be a lot of fun. I've never did anything like it. So talking about, I don't, I don't believe in getting out of your comfort zone. I believe you stretch your comfort zone to the point that you just start achieving. Right. Um, and that was something I was taught in the military and was like, Oh, jump out of an airplane. No dude, get comfortable doing it. Hmm. And then things happen, but you, the only way you can do comfortable is take action. And that's what I'm doing with this book. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm comfortable. Scared, as I right. Write. Yes, yeah, dude, scared man. Yeah, and that comes from my good friend Berta Medina, which I think you know as well. Um, and uh, it's just something that she'd always said to me. So yeah. Yeah, I love her. All right. Well, Scott, man, you know, thank you again for joining us today. Um, and we'll be in we'll be in touch soon for sure. Love you guys, man. Appreciate it. God, thanks. Thanks for serving. Guys. Appreciate right. it. Appreciate it. Well, Jimmy, uh, and Scott had a lot of not, uh knowledge, I could say in that one, and I, I think I probably wrote down like five or six things that he mentioned. So yeah, I definitely got told you the one I'd love that winners make adjustments, losers make excuses, but mm-hmm. you know, just many things that individuals go through just from the, the breath work to you know, taking care of your body, nutrition. And, you know, like I said, being accountable for what you do in your life. There's so much, but um, a lot of great information. Well, think about this. I saw this stat the other day that between 18 to 25 year olds, so young adults, right? About 50% of them are experiencing anxiety or depression on a daily basis. 50%. That's half of our young adults right now. And so, you know, I think that's a lot of the reason why we've we've created 40 athletes was to teach those life skills, even things like breath work, you know, that we could get into later on. Because we got to have these skills to to help us be happy. Like, you know, it just doesn't happen out of a whim. We have to be intentional. So well, as, as you said, like having the tools to understand who you are, but as you know, going through with Ferguson and Scott is like, there's certain things you do daily that help you to train his mind, to get himself ready where he does. Like you said, somebody cuts him off. Somebody does this. It doesn't bother him. Yeah. Certain things come in his life. He doesn't get anxious. I mean, he might a little bit, but he's able to get back to these, the gratitude back to this, you know, positive attitude back to being confident. And there's a strategy to those things and if we're taught it and know how to do it, then we can implement it and help us to where we're not being one of these statistics and these numbers. Yeah. And, and you know, well, um, for those of you listening here, what you can do is go to 40 athletes.com, check out our website, um, reach out to us to, and, and do a discovery call, or you can enroll for the course yourself and start implementing these strategies that we talked about with, with Scott today and with some of our other guests and, and really start to see the difference by doing the action steps. And like, like Scott said, at first, you know, it might be a little bit scary, so do it scared. But the more times you do it, the more comfortable it gets and the easier it gets. So, uh, Jimmy, you know, thanks again for uh, another great show, another great guest. And uh, we will uh, do it again next week. Thank you. And thank for what you do and just being a part of it. I enjoy it. And having individuals like Scott Ferguson and many more to come that are giving great information to help people. So I look forward to it. Yep. Sounds good, Jimmy. All right, Have Jay. a great day. You too. All right, buddy.